Hey everybody, welcome to Never Too Old for YA. For this episode, we will be discussing the sections Shadows Through Salt in The Last to Let Go by Amber Smith. This is a brand new book that we're starting and we're very excited to get started with it. And uh, we hope you guys are enjoying it as well. Please uh, hit us up on social media and let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Never the Number Two Old for YA. Our podcast is streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Hey, Kels. Hey, Mel. So I had to reread this section only because I, I couldn't focus. Also, I wasn't getting into it. It started really fast and everything was happening so fast. And... We had all these characters and I'm like, what the heck's going on here? Mm-hmm. It was very chaotic, the first six chapters. Yeah, it definitely was. I kind of had a hard time keeping everybody, um, like keeping track of who's who and stuff like that. But I feel like we needed that kind of chaos for what was happening in those six chapters. Because basically we shift from the main character, Brooke, walking home from school in the heat on her last day of school. She aced her AP bio final. So um, she's like super excited about that and really excited because um, she's going to go to a different, she's going to transfer to a different high school next year. Uh, And she's, she just finished her sophomore year. This was her last day of her sophomore year. So she'll be a junior next year. And then as she's walking home, she sees a police car that was that was parked somewhere and then like takes off really fast and like so, like sirens and lights and everything and then she sees like five more cop cars go by like in the same direction that that first car was going and a fire truck and an ambulance so she's like wow something really bad must be going on so she follows them uh, i mean she's going that way anyway because she's going home and then she realizes that there's they're going to her apartment building and so let's put in in perspective for someone who's reading and doesn't quite understand either so Brooke is the main character it's written in her point of view and she's about what 16 17 16 she's 16 she has an older brother Aaron who's 19 a younger sister Callie who's 12 Mm -hmm. And a friend of hers, Tony, who she's known forever. And that's pretty much whoever we were introduced to so far. Oh, no. And then we have the quote unquote aunt, you know, like the friends that your mom makes that they've known forever and is like their best friend and they become your aunt. Okay, so they have her. What was her name? Jackie. Jackie. Okay. So then they have their quote-unquote aunt who is their mom's old best friend it's already like running headfirst into this whole thing um but yeah so you were saying that they find out she finds out that they were headed to her house yeah so at this point like we're not introduced to any of those characters quite yet because she just barely got home and she realizes that like they're there because of her family and doesn't, doesn't she see, like, them bringing her little sister down the stairs and she's, like, not moving or anything? Wasn't that the first thing she saw? Neighbor is, like, opening the door and just saying sorry to Brooke mm-hmm. um, that she had to call the cops and she's sorry. 
mm-hmm. um but in that section before she sees her sister we kind of just like get a glimpse into her life I guess and how abusive her father was <laughs> so she already lives in an abusive household you know her father's verbally abusive he abuses her mother physically and they were always so scared that their dad was going to kill their mom mm-hmm. they were so scared of that so then Callie walks out with the police officers but what I didn't understand is did I read this wrong Callie was in handcuffs no she wasn't I don't think so well I was so lost because I I I think that's what it said but I could be wrong but um basically Mm -hmm. the paramedics are taking Callie to the ambulance but Brooke sees her getting escorted that way and she she just describes her hands as if like she was painting like things in red because her hands are all red. And, Not like, Callie, her mom. So yeah, basically Brooke gets there and she's like immediately freaking out about everything and all the cops there and like, you know, her sister coming down the stairs and she's like, her sister just looks vacant, like just like a ghost almost. Like she's like really severely in shock for whatever happened. Brooke's immediate thought is that their dad killed their mom that must have been what happened and she's thinking about how her brother Aaron told her like oh it's only a matter of time it's gonna happen eventually like you know things are so bad that like almost like it's inevitable and so she's thinking oh my god like you know it finally happened she he really killed her and uh and she's freaking out and Tony who I'm pretty sure is like a cop like like friend of the family and I think I think her dad is a police officer as well and Tony I think is like one of the ones who like responds a lot to them to calls about them and stuff so he's already kind of familiar with the situation familiar with the family and stuff and he just you know like grabs her and pulls her aside and he's like Brooke Brooke you gotta calm down like you gotta calm down because she is like losing it and she just wants to see her sister and she's like stuck here with Tony pinning her against the wall after Callie and the police the police and stuff come down the stairs even more police officers come down with her mom and Brooke like finally manages to break free of Tony's like hold on her and runs towards the stairs like when she sees her mom because she can't believe it like she's alive she's she's okay and she says you know she's alive we'll be fine you know and she's so relieved that her mom is alive and it wasn't her worst nightmare that she thought it would be and then like as her mom gets further down the stairs she sees that her hands are like covered in blood just blood red and she compares it to, like, the food coloring dye that, like, you used to, like, paint the Easter eggs with. And she was like, you know, that's what our hands used to look like when we paint the Easter eggs. That was, like, really chilling to me. Like, that innocent memory attached kind of to, like, this really gruesome one, you know? And then her brother Aaron shows up. And we find out that he doesn't live at home anymore. And she's like really surprised to see him. And, you know, she knows then that something must really be wrong because Aaron is there in the first place. And he really stays away from them as much as he can because of their dad. And so then Tony, I think, tells Brooke and Aaron that their mom stabbed their dad. And that's all he knows. After most of the police and people leave, they like try to go up and go into their apartment. And of course, there's like cops and people in there. And like they, you know, tell them, hey, you can't be in here. You got to go. And they see their dad's body on the kitchen floor. He's on his back and he's got like one hand like outstretched, like just laying there limp. And she said, you know, I've never seen my dad's hand look so powerless. 
that it was like really eerie to her. She just couldn't believe that, you know, that he was dead. And she doesn't really know how to feel about it. There's a there's a part where she says, um, this man that I have no use for, I'm not quoting it directly, I'm paraphrasing from what I remember, but she's saying that, you know, she never really had any use for her dad and he's, you know, such like such an a-hole and stuff, you know, he's not, he's not a good man and she hates him. But then she's like, but I must love him uh, to some extent too, because, you know, she has mixed feelings about him being dead. I mean, I totally get that. I totally get why she could love someone, but also be so angry and resentful towards someone because one, your dad's supposed to protect you. He is the one you run to when you need help. And, you know, your parents should work as a unit to take care of you. But I think by default, we are always going to love our parents no matter what. By default. Mm -hmm. You know, so that was really sad to read because not only is she conflicted that her dad's dead and she's angry, but she doesn't know if she's angry or happy that he's gone. But also she's in this like whirlpool of just her sister's in shock. Her brother doesn't know what's going on. He's getting angry. Her mom's in the back of the cop car. Her dad's dead upstairs. She just came home from acing her test, man. That's crazy. So then after that, basically, Aaron gets there trying to figure out what's happening. Callie's there just like, you know, in the movies where like they have the way of like making the movie. And when somebody's running, it's like jumping like if they're actually running. Okay, so when I was picturing this specific chapter I was just thinking about like them just completely like moving the camera everywhere and like it's just so overwhelming okay so after that the ambulance ends up taking Callie to the hospital which they already had told Aaron and Brooke that she had no physical injuries and so she went to the hospital their mother's in the back of the cop car she goes to jail. So then Aaron and Brooke get to the hospital. And they try to find out where Callie's at. They find out that she's in the psychiatric ward. That's weird to me. Like, why would they take her to the psychiatric ward? Like, I, I understand that she's 12. I understand that, you know, she just went through something traumatic. Like, she, she from what they're saying... From what the author's like trying to, you know, insinuate, at least I think, is that Kelly saw it all happen. And so maybe they put her there, but it still makes no sense. It's like, why would you put a child that went through that to be secluded and alone? That's what's got me like questioning everything because it doesn't sound right to me. I don't know if it's just me. Yeah, for me, like, the part of her going to the psychiatric ward didn't seem that far-fetched to me, because, yeah, she's gonna need help. Like, who knows how she's gonna be feeling or what she might go through in these next few days after everything that she's been through. And, yeah, she needs to be with her brother and sister as well, but they can't just, like, okay, you know, here, she's, like, really in shock. She's not even talking but, you know, just make sure she's fed, make sure she has water, like, you know, and, and just do the best you can. Okay, here you go. Good luck. You know, I mean, I, I see that part of it, too. 
The part that I didn't agree with, though, is how they wouldn't even let Brooke and Aaron visit her. And like Brooke was saying, you know, what if she's scared? What if she, you know, thinks we abandoned her? Like, you know, we, she, we need to see her. Like, you know, we need, she needs us. You know, and she was frustrated that they weren't letting her see it, see her. You know, and that part, that part bugged me and seemed like a bad decision. That too. And then what really got me, though, what really stood out to me is that the doctor said to them, we need to make sure that she's not a danger to herself or others. That's where it got me. I'm thinking something more happened in that room. Something more happened in that apartment because you're not just going to take a 12 year old child, seclude her from everybody, not let her talk or see her siblings because she did go through something traumatic and but she she's needs not talking. Family. That's the issue. Like- no, I know. But if they would have given her a chance, it just seems like she went from the house to the hospital and that was it. You know, like they didn't give her a chance. Okay. Yeah. She's in shock. She's not going to talk, but how would, how would you possibly know that she's not going to talk within the next 72 hours? That makes absolutely no sense. Especially when they say, we don't know if she's going to be a danger to herself or others. Had she ever had CPS ever been called because she was harming herself? Had the guidance counselor at school ever have concern for her hurting herself? And why would they say to others, If she had nothing to do with this, it makes no sense. There has to be a significant reason why you're getting taken in. Yes, you can surrender yourself, but you have to physically be hurting yourself or others in order to get held for 72 hours or longer. And they're trying to think of it as in like, oh, we're going to hold her maybe a week, maybe two weeks. Who knows? She's going to be here forever. You know, that's what they're making it sound like. And I was just like, what is happening? I think that there's so much more going on that we have no idea. We have yet to discover. And this is the part where they meet Jackie. Yeah, because Jackie's there in the waiting room with them. But they don't like, she's not like, oh, hey, it's Jackie or whatever. You know, she's just sitting there and like, I think she's there when they get there. And like, she's just sitting there reading a magazine or whatever. And after a while like she looks up and like her and Brooke make eye contact I think and like you know she recognizes them you know but like obviously they're a lot older than they were last time she saw them and then she was like oh it's me and they're like and um and Aaron gets super like defensive like and I I found that a little bit odd but kind of not as well like he's getting frustrated because um like she's not telling him who she is like she's like oh you don't remember me and he's just like, who are you? Like, just tell me already. And he's getting really frustrated with her. And then finally she goes, it's Aunt Jackie. And then they remember her and everything. And like, you know, everything calms down. But like, yeah, Aaron was getting pretty pissed off there for a second. Um, I think it was just like a trauma response. Probably, yeah. But yeah, going back to like the thing about Callie being in the hospital, though. Like, I wonder if maybe that's why they want to keep her under observation because they don't know what she saw they don't have all the pieces together yet you know and the fact that she's not speaking you know obviously is a real concern I mean I'm not saying that you don't think it is but like I think just all of that like they just want to know like the extent of what she saw and what she experienced and stuff and like get an idea like okay what happened who started what led up to it like you know more details about the situation 
but it did seem weird that they like are like, well, I don't know, it might be 72 hours, it might be a week, we don't know. That seemed a little bit um like over the top for that situation, even though she is a kid and you have to be really careful with situations like that, obviously. And like in between all this chaos, Brooke is going back and forth in like real time and memories. Mm -hmm. So she has a memory of when Aaron was like on the rooftop. Basically, what I gathered from it is was like a suicide attempt. Yeah, that's what I got from it, too. So it's been going on for a while. But after the, they talk to the doctor and all that, they head to Jackie's house. And like you said, Aaron doesn't live at his family's apartment anymore. He moved in with his girlfriend. So they get situated there. They're talking for a little while. Brooke's going to stay with Jackie because I don't know the situation. Maybe Aaron can't take her to his girlfriend's family's house because that's where he's living, right? And so I'm thinking like, Aaron, please don't leave her. Like she really needs you right now. But he decides to stay And that was the end of this section. Two things. One, the book started off so crazy, so fast paced. I feel like the rest of the book may not live up to that. I feel like she started with the climax and then it's just going to be, you know, average. I want to give this book a chance But usually, like, nine times out of ten, when the book starts this chaotic, it kind of just goes downhill from there. I don't know. I'm going to try to start from the beginning again. Read up to the next um, section that we're reading for next week's podcast and see how that goes. Because I feel like I'm missing little details. But other than that, this section has me drawn in a bit. I just don't want it to end. And I know it's not like a suspense or like a whodunit type of book. It's kind of just like getting through the trauma of life and our crappy parents' crappy decisions. Two, I feel like I have so many questions and I will be so upset if they're not answered at the end of this book. But we'll see. I've got high hopes for it. Because it started off so chaotic and engaging. I mean, in, in, in engaging in like the saddest way possible, right? Because like it's, you know, such a terrible situation for any of them to be in. But like, I feel, I don't know, I feel like I've already kind of connected with the three kids on some level. Like I want to learn more about them. I want to see their situation improve from here. I want to know what happens to their mom. Are they going to, like, figure out that it was self-defense and, like, you know, go easy on her? Like, what's going to happen? And I don't know. I have a feeling that this is going to be one of those books. I think it's going to be, like, a little bit like Every Last Word was, the last book we read. In that, in Every Last Word, at the beginning of the book, Sam was so held down and controlled by her OCD and trying to keep it a secret and not wanting anybody to know and, like, just... She was like almost held prisoner by her own disorder. And, you know, as the book went on, like she just got freer and freer and things just got better for her as time went on. And I feel like we're going to see these three kids really blossom now that they're out from under the weight of their dad. As far as like predictions for the next section, I don't think I really have any because I don't know where this is going, first of all, because the synopsis is basically saying like, Oh, her getting over this trauma and and planning to leave, you know, like just like a coming of age story. Yeah. Right. 
I did not know it was going to be this intense. The first six chapters, I was like, what is happening? Like, I thought we were going to go into the book like post-trauma and like, oh, my dad died. Here's how he died. Okay, let's move on from that. I didn't think we were going to start here. Yeah, I kind of didn't think we were going to start right in the middle of her mom killing her dad and everything. Like, I kind of thought maybe that, yeah, like you said, it would either start after it happened or like shortly before. Yeah. I know that it's a coming of age book. But I really want it to be a murder mystery. I mean, not really a murder mystery, only because we know the mom did it or that's what the mom's saying. I don't know. A lot of things could have happened. I'm just not. I think that I'm going to be more into this storyline than into the rest of the book. I feel like that's that's where my head's at right now, because, you know, me, I love a good thriller and who done it. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be that, though. Actually, when you said that about, like, yeah, it seems like the mom did it so far, but, like, it's not guaranteed. I almost... And then this would maybe answer your question about the thing of, like, why is Callie in the hospital? What if Callie did it? That's what I'm saying. When the doctor said... We don't know if she's going to be a danger to herself or others. That's what that's the first thing that came to my mind. Mm. A mother's always going to protect her children. And that's in that situation, I would hope. And it sounds as if like with how they're portraying the mother, it sounds like that's exactly something she would do. Mm -hmm. And there's like a scenario, right? Uh, There's like a million and one things that could have happened. But there's also a scenario where, in my mind, this is what I think. I think that Callie was there, the mom, the dad. Dad was being aggressive and abusive to mom. Callie lashed out, couldn't take it anymore. Maybe mom was cooking dinner. I don't know. Picked up the knife, harmed him to the point of his last breath. Mom freaked out, covered her arms in blood, and said, oh, I did it. Or tried to stop the bleeding because, like, it's not going to look good. Even if he is an abusive, if he got stabbed and you're just letting him bleed out on the floor, like, that'll be criminal charges in and of itself. That's true. You don't even do anything to try to, like, save him. I don't know, but I really think Callie has a big role to play in this. I kind of wanted it, too. Only because, like, there's so there's little, like, subtle hints that that's what happened. Because the mom being such a protective mother is not going to call someone she hasn't spoken to in years. The kids have not talked to or seen in years because they didn't even remember who she was mm-hmm. to go and, and protect her children. Right. Because essentially, like, yeah, you can know somebody for years, but, like, Once you stop talking to somebody, like, they grow as a person. You don't know who they are anymore. Yeah. And for you to call her and be like, hey, I need you to get to my kids now. And then she dropped everything and and Jackie went. Kind of makes me feel like she would protect her children no matter what. Yeah. Because that's usually what an abuser does, right? There's only one or two scenarios where an abuser oversells himself as a good guy. or completely alienates his victims 
from anybody else. Mm -hmm. Family, friends, coworkers, doesn't matter. There's so much missing from the story that I hope I get answers to. Also, like, I know that it's in Brooke's perspective, but I also think that, like, I would love to hear what Callie's going through because she was actually there. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting, too. I hope we get more details on that later. I hope so, too. If, if I could have anyone else's perspective, it'd definitely be Callie. Another thing, though, is that I'm surprised that the kids didn't end up in foster care. Like, or at least, well, like, I mean, Callie wouldn't have because she went to the hospital. But, like, Brooke, you know, because she is only 16. And I don't know, it kind of, like, I was kind of thinking of it, like, in my head now. Just, like, I mean, we never we never put the episodes on the air. Like, put the episodes out there. But when we were reading... um. How to make friends with the dark. Yes, how to make friends with the dark. I, I oh it haunts God. me, and sometimes I say the name of the book when we're trying to do the intros. Every <laughs> book, the author's name instead Every of like book the correct author. Yeah, and then now when I need the name, I couldn't come up with it, but whatever. Anyway, but um, uh, it kind of reminded me of like in how to make friends with the dark, how Tiger, the main character in that book had people in her life not a lot of people but like she had her best friend's family who she was like super close to like her best friend's parents were like a second set of parents to her so when her mom died and her dad was like no nowhere around you know because he had left years ago and he ended up being in prison in new mexico or something but like she had nobody except for the parents of her best friend and they wanted to take her in but like the state wouldn't allow them to and so she went into foster care. Like, I was kind of wondering why the same thing didn't happen here. And, like, and in this book, like, they had to, like, stretch even farther to, like, find somebody to take Brooke in. Because, like, her mom didn't have any friends or anything, like, anybody that she kept up with. So they had to, like, you know, her mom had to reach out to this woman she hasn't talked to in years and be like, hey, here's what happened. I need you to take care of my kid. And, you know, and she was willing to do it, luckily. But I just wonder, um, you know, how the state didn't get involved and, like, want to put her in foster care or something. And then that leads me to another kind of, I mean, I'm kind of nitpicking here, but another kind of annoyance that I had with this book so far is that, okay, we get a very clear sense that it's summer and it's really hot because there's plenty of that in the book. Like, she's saying that, like, you know, like when her like you know she was like running towards the apartment and her flip-flops came off at some point and you know and she didn't even care that like the asphalt was boiling her freaking soles of her feet pretty much you know and she's talking about like the weight of her backpack and she's sweaty under her, where her backpack is and like it's so hot and the smell of the garbage as she's walking through the alley or whatever um so we get that it's very hot and like nasty outside but we don't get any sense of a place like where this is happening. You literally are in my head because before you even started talking about this, I was like, that's my next point. That's the last thing I'm going to say, because me and you, we've talked about this. And it's funny because the unreleased how to make friends with the dark episodes 
was it that was a big topic is like we love to when we're reading we love to know where we're at what it feels like what it looks like like we paint this whole picture and all I know is that it's really scorching hot to the point where she says that it's 195 degrees outside I mean that's an exaggeration of course but like it's hot and they have to go to a community pool. So that makes me think that they're not really near any big body of water or live near any big body of water. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm thinking like Arizona, Texas, maybe. I was thinking that too, like Nevada somewhere, maybe. Like, but then, then later when they're driving to Jackie's house, it says that she lives on the other side of the river that divides their town in half. So, like, I mean, yeah, there's rivers in the desert. Like, the Colorado River runs, like, through Nevada and stuff into Lake Mead and all that. But I don't know. Like, I still don't have, like, a good grasp on where we are. As far as time goes, I'm pretty sure it's, like, you know, present day. You know, I don't think it's, like, set in a particular, like, time period or anything. We haven't gotten any indications of that so far. So I'm just really curious where all of this takes place at. Um, I mean, it, it's it's to some people that might be nitpicking, you know, and to other people, it's like a really important detail. But I don't know, like for me personally and for Mel too, when we're in the story, we like knowing where we're at. Like it grounds us more into like, it helps me get more into the story. Like, okay, I know where this is at on a map or whatever. <laughs> like, okay, now I can get it a little bit better than if it wasn't for that detail so i tried looking online and i don't see anything other than something really funny so every last word is like group that's like one of the books that comes up mm-hmm. when i searched this one so oh, i thought you were like saying that it's kind of like that book in that way that's mm-hmm. really funny that that book came up like right under it so <laughs> that's pretty cool But yeah, I'm not finding really where it takes place. It just says her hometown. Yes, but which hometown? I know, right? At least give us a state or like a region or something. No, it's not telling us where it was written. And this is going to be a problem for me. (laughs) Um, I would like nothing more than to know exactly where we're at because miss kathleen glasgow ruined that book for me but at least we had a full layout of where we were at amber smith ma'am i need you to give me more here i know where you're trying to go with this but i need to know where i'm at i need the full like cinematic you know i want to be able to feel the heat on my skin I want to smell the smells of the hot garbage. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to picture what it's like to run down that alley. Like, I know that you can picture it now, but it's so much more fun where you know where we're at. And then the detail of the characters, we don't really have any detail of the characters either, other than they're this family. Yeah. But yeah, I really want to know, like, okay, is it a dry heat? Is it humid and sticky? Like, are we in the south? Are we in like like in the south in the southwest, like Arizona, Nevada, California, somewhere in there? You know, like what kind of heat are we talking about? Right. Is it like 90 with high humidity? 
Is it like a, like a dry heat with like of 105 degrees? What are we dealing with here? We are, are we literally. In are we in like, I don't know, like freaking like swamp land or something like Florida? We are literally the worst book readers because, <laughs> because we act, we ask for so much. We ask for so much, but to me, I don't think it's that much. Like when I want to get pulled into a book, I want to get pulled into like the environment. I want the whole, I I want everything, you know, I want to be able to feel like I'm there. I don't think that's too much to ask for. And if it is, oh, well, (laughs) let's hope we get that next section at least. I hope so. Oh. Another kind of interesting but smaller detail that was sort of hinted at and maybe I'm making too much out of it or misreading, like reading too much into it or misunderstanding it. But um, I think there's kind of an, an insinuation that um, that Brooke might like girls, like be like bisexual or like into girls or something. Because in that, in that memory that she has, uh, of going to the pool with Callie like the, the summer before the like where the book takes off Callie tells her like oh the lifeguard's checking you out the lifeguard's checking you out and she's kind of teasing her about it and and Brooke is like insistent like no he's not no he's not like you know um and she like it makes her like really uncomfortable like she doesn't want attention from anyone uh and she just tries to keep a very low profile and then she says something about like how can I make space for someone else in my life when I don't even really have enough room for myself? And I found that really interesting. And then it said something too, like after a certain point, like Callie just dropped the whole thing about like the lifeguard checking her out or whatever. And she said it was like almost like she understood something I didn't even quite understand myself. I don't know. I I didn't get that at all. But, and then later... She even straight out, like, said in her narrative, like, oh, I might have even had a crush on um, Carmen. Or what? what's um, what's um, Aaron's girlfriend's name? She's really going to be a part of this for that long, do you think? I don't know. I hope so. It starts with the C. I'm not too sure, guys. I think it's Carmen. But, yeah, she says that, like, she might have even had a crush on her, her brother's girlfriend at one point. So I don't know, I guess that might may or may not be something to like keep an eye out for, uh, see if that goes anywhere. And like I said, maybe I just read too much into it. I don't know. Man, I'm pretty impressed. We had a lot to say today. We did. Anyways, on that note, Kels, what are we reading for next week? All right, everybody, for our next episode, we'll be reading the sections Local Woman Through Keeping Score. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Never Too Old for YA. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Never the Number Two Old for YA. This podcast is streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Until next time, bye.